Moncrief on News Talk with Avant Money. Money when you need it with Avant Money credit cards. Avant Card Dark Trading as Avant Money is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. And you are listening to the Moncrief Show on News Talk 53106 is our text number that will cost you 30 cent. You can follow us on Twitter or send us an email to afternoon at newstalk.com. Uh, it's time for parenting. Joanna Fortune joins us once again. Good afternoon, Joanna. Good afternoon, Sean. Uh, Here's your first question. I noticed that my eight-year-old smiled for a photo with his mouth closed recently. And when he saw the photo on my phone, he said he looked weird. It got me thinking about his teeth because he had mentioned to me months ago in passing that a boy in school said his teeth made him look like Dracula. Coincidentally, I brought him for a checkup with the dentist and she said that he will need braces for overcrowding and misalignment. I wonder, is he becoming self-conscious of his teeth? His dad and I both had braces as adults after my son was born so he would have been aware of this is there anything I can do to reassure him without calling attention to bad teeth I certainly don't want to tell him that we'll be getting them fixed what can I do to stop this becoming a confidence issue for him I mean it's so interesting isn't it one of the last lines there jumps out of me that you certainly don't want to tell him that you'll be getting them fixed and I'm interested in that because if he was with you in the dentist and the comment about his overcrowding and misalignment and needing braces was mentioned in front of him or around him Mm. he actually knows that there is a discussion about fixing his teeth and like you say he has seen both of his parents wearing braces as adults so I'm not quite sure maybe it's coming from a place you know Sean of I don't want him to feel that they need fixing ergo there's something wrong with him but actually if he's eight years old and telling you he's very self-conscious of them and children can be very self-conscious of their teeth they can be self-conscious in general particularly at this age but of teeth in particular you know because you know between kind of I suppose six and eight six and nine years old maybe a bit younger for some kids um, their teeth are falling out their baby teeth and they're getting new teeth so there's a lot of change and you know, some of them can get very self-conscious of the gaps in their teeth or indeed about crooked teeth. And our smile, you know, using our mouth and our smile as a way to convey positive emotion or reflect shared joy or it's a way of building connections. So if he is self-conscious about this and already is kind of blocking his mouth or trying to shield his teeth, if you like, in photos, I think you do need to speak with him quite directly about it. Name what you've observed And just reassure him that just as both of you had braces, one day when he's old enough, he can have those too. And that's something that you'll decide with him and his dentist. And, you know, the teeth can be changed, maybe not using the word fixed if that's something you don't want to. But you know that that can be changed. But emphasizing then that, it, you know, his teeth are not who he is. They're just a part of him. And just like everybody's teeth fall out and grow in, they grow in in different ways. And that's something that can be changed when he's older. But getting back to the piece underpinning this, the confidence and self-esteem aspect, because, you know, in one way you're saying, look, you know, this comment was passed and he is shielding his teeth in photos. And look, on a balance of probability, it is about his teeth. But maybe it's about investing in his confidence and self-esteem in general. And that will be a way of counteracting that. And confidence and self-esteem is built through affording our children really practical opportunities to try new things, to master challenging experiences or challenging feelings. But also we focus on praising their effort over outcome. 
but always keeping that praise specific. And that's really important, you know, that if we give very generalized praise, it doesn't actually affect self-esteem as much as being very specific. You know, I really like the way you did that. I could see that you were looking around to find the person to pass the ball to. You were paying really good attention, you know, being really specific in our praise. And that way you can actually build up his own sense of self, confidence in what he can do. And he will be better able to manage comments on the playground or anything around his teeth. But also speaking about what his body can do rather than what it looks like is a good general rule of thumb when it comes to building confidence and self-esteem. But for this one, I think that, yeah, you could take the general approach. I want to invest in strengthening self-esteem, but I think you will need to address it head on with him as well. If it is specific to his teeth, talk to him about that. Let him talk to you so that he knows he can say to you, actually, it's my teeth. I don't like the way they look. It makes me uncomfortable. And you can say, well, look, that's something we can talk with your dentist about. And in a couple of years when your teeth are finished growing in, we can look at you getting braces if that's just like dad and I had or whoever it is at home. So, you know, I think it is something that I wouldn't shy away from but I would look at it broader than just teeth as well. Mm-hmm. And given, you know, he's, he's already seen his parents wearing uh, braces, kids wearing braces is not an uncommon thing, I would have Oh, thought. not at all. No, not at all. And I think that's why you do want to speak about it because it normalizes it, you know, and it's like, well, sure, lots of people need to wear braces. We did and so-and-so did. And you see lots of kids around you wearing them. And it's something that we can look at as well. So and and emphasizing that lots of people need braces because our teeth grow in in different ways. So there's nothing wrong with him. But what is there? He can get braces to make it feel more comfortable for him. So, again, it might be about saying it, but just using careful language. You know, if you're particularly sensitive to I don't want him to, you know, what this letter saying is, you know, I don't want to call attention to bad teeth. You know, certainly that's not language I use and you're getting them fixed. But there are many ways of saying this that is positively reframed and using positive language. But it doesn't mean shying away from it. Let him name the thing that he is bothered about so that you can work it through together and then do the other self-esteem confidence boosting in general, because that middle childhood stage of development, eight to 12 years, self-esteem does take a dip developmentally. So it's, you know, regardless of teeth, I would be looking at ways of boosting Mm. self-esteem. Yeah. I'm currently 20 weeks pregnant with my first child. Both my husband and I are really excited about it and can't wait to meet our little girl. In preparation for her baby, I'm struggling to find any good parenting books. The books I've found so far are either too detailed or else the opposite. Not enough detail. Could Joanna please advise on a parenting book for preparing a newborn? Uh, You can answer that question, Joanna, without using the phrase 15 minutes. <laughs> but I can't, Sean. I absolutely can't. Uh, because of course, 15 minute parenting, zero to seven years. But actually, I am going to say I do have a podcast episode on playing with newborns as well and how you play with a newborn versus a toddler or older child. Um, and that might be of, of use uh, to this parent as well. I think it's really interesting, you know, when you're thinking about books in anticipation of the baby and in preparation. So, I won't just mention my own book. I will say as well that Tracy Cutchlow um, has a book called Zero to Five. I think it's Zero to Five um, Essential Parenting Tips or something like that. It has a little a little subtag, but Zero to Five will find it, Tracy Cutchlow. It's a hardback book with a ring binder. So it's built, you know, for one handed reading when you've got a baby on your hip mm-hmm. and you can flick to a page and it'll stand up. It's very practical as well. And it covers those first five years and the infant stage really well. 
And I think another one that I'd like to mention, Sean, is um, a colleague of mine um, based in Australia uh, has written a book. Um, her name is Ellie Taylor, and her book is called Becoming Us. And the focus of the book is transition to parenthood. So it's really useful before you've had the baby because the book breaks down into eight steps. The, the key transitions that are going to occur in your family unit as you prepare to welcome a baby and about really kind of something I talk about is in my own book as well is about really kind of future proofing your own relationship. And I think that's a really important part of any book around bringing an infant into your family is safeguarding your relationship, investing in each other and preparing for what will be a change. And of course, it's mostly positive and lovely and everything else. But there are challenges in that transition from being a couple to being a couple of parents. Mm. Um, and, you know, so any of those would actually be really, really helpful. But I do think, you know, thinking about ways that you can start your play relationship and play connection with an infant is always worth because often people say, well, you can't really play with an infant. You just take care of them. Actually, there are loads of ways that you can play with your infant. Um, so I think that's really important. But I'd really commend you, you know, thinking ahead and looking to do this. And I, I totally understand that some of the books are too detailed or else the opposite, because some of them are like scientific manuals mm. and lots of jargon and theory. And some of them are just, you know, more pictures than words. And you're like, mm, OK, well, I read that in 20 minutes, but I don't know a whole lot out of it. So in it, parenting is a world, as you know, where there's no end of books. There's a tsunami of books out there. So it is worth doing getting to your local library, I would suggest, and taking a few of these off the shelf or asking them to get them in for you and flicking through and finding one that actually meets the needs that you have. Yeah, that book is called Zero to Five, 70 Essential Parenting Tips Based on Science. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's really readable and really accessible. And I think there's a lot of practical stuff in it. It's one that I quite like, actually. My six-year-old girl and her twin toilet trained and her twin toilet trained well when they were three. However, she continues to wear pull-ups each night and they are heavily soaked each morning. Her twin and my older kids are uh, all just in their own time managed to to get to a stage where they don't need pull-ups. I don't put too much emphasis or comment to my little girl about needing them. However, I'm wondering if I need to start addressing it in any particular way rather than just being so relaxed about it. She loves her sleep, never wakes up during the night. In the past, when I've had gentle chats with her about getting to a stage where she will wake up at night if she needs the loo, etc. She was gobsmacked as why she possibly should wake up from her dreams when her pull-ups work. Makes a lot of sense to me. Uh, Lately, she's asked me why she continues to need pull-ups when her twin sister doesn't and also why she sucks her thumb and expresses that she feels babyish. I've reassured her that her brain isn't yet ready to give the signals to wake up during the night. On the odd occasion when we have forgotten to put our pull-ups on at night, she and the bed have been soaked the following morning and she slept through it all. Hence, I worry that if I take the pull-ups off her, she will sleep being wet and possibly get a cold, etc., being soaked for many hours. She goes to the toilet before bed, limit drinks before bed, etc. Is she just not developmentally ready yet? I don't want to push her at all, but also don't want to do the wrong thing by just continuing with pull-ups indefinitely if it's not the right thing to do. That's so interesting, given there's a twin in the mix there. Yeah, and I, is, you know, I think that can be one of the challenges for twins is you've got this constant comparison, don't you? You've got this constant barometer of, well, they're doing it, I'm not. And that's from the children as much as anyone else. But it's so common. We get lots of letters about toileting you know it's so common for children to struggle with nighttime dryness for many years even up to seven years old and in fact some medical practitioners will say to you 
let's see, wait until they're seven. And if it's still an issue, then we'll deal with it because it's that common. Now, that said, it may be worth a consult with your GP on this, given her age. And, you know, she's coming up to that seven year old age because it could be a matter of, you know, bladder maturation rather than emotional maturation. So it may not be anything to do with her emotional development. It may actually be something physical and medical. And if you haven't had her with her GP about this, I certainly would do that. And what I'm now going to say, I I don't want to add to disrupted sleep in the house because I hear that loud and clear. Mm -hmm. But the pull up will keep the wet feeling away from her skin. You know, that's it's that is literally its job. And by doing so, it'll prevent her from detecting that Mm -hmm. physical or sensory feedback that could wake her and help her learn. Oh, gosh, toilet got to go. So long as she's not feeling it, there is no reason to wake up, is there? You know, it's it's been taken care of. So. I think there is whenever you you choose to say, look, we're going to work towards getting rid of the polyps, there is going to be a, a, a transitional period where she's going to need your help. And because she seems to sleep so deeply, I love her rational thought about why on mm-hmm. earth would I wake up from my dreams when the polyp is doing the job. But I think she's giving you the clue in there. Maybe what you need to do is wake her when you're going to bed, you know, physically lift her up when you're going and put her on the toilet. So she may be half asleep going to the toilet. She may be grumpy and grumbling at you for disturbing her and lifting her out of bed. But that might be enough to short circuit than the big wetting overnight. You know, if she has that other toilet break. Um, the other thing is because she's asking you questions of why am I still using it? And my twin isn't. And, you know, I'm also using I'm sucking my thumb or whatever it is. I, I, your answer about your brain isn't ready to give you signals is so appropriate. But given she's asking you the question, you could also tell her that, well, look, this is something we can work on together. And, you know, start building her up by saying you are, you know, because she's saying she feels babyish. You are six years old. I can give you some more big kid chores and responsibilities around the house. So not just focusing on the toileting, but building her up around the issue of toileting as well. So a couple of things there, like Sean, I would definitely go to the GP and just get out, you know, check out physically. Is there is everything okay? It could be, you know a muscle issue. It could be bladder size. It could be, you know, the hormone that slows down um, urine production at night that she's overproducing. So it could be anything like that. And it's worth getting that checked out. But I would start lifting her and even with her pull up, you know, lift her to go to the toilet because the aim is to get those pull ups dry so that, you know, she is able to hold. And what you might see as well, she can hold for a certain amount of hours, but not the full night. That's information your GP would also find useful. Does putting her on the toilet in the middle of the night make a difference to her being dry in the morning or not? Maybe it doesn't. Yeah. But uh, I, I would talk to her about it. Yeah, I've I, I done that, putting them on the toilet at night. It's always yeah. actually very cute. They don't even remember you've done it. Uh, they're um, half but asleep they're like, in your arms while you're yeah, holding them up on it. Yeah. <laughs> yes, top tip, hold them uh, while yes. they're going because <laughs> they'll just tip forward off the toilet. Uh, <laughs> uh, a, f- a few more um on the uh, subject, asked a question about parenting books. Uh, the uh, uh, Brendan says uh, uh, we read "On Becoming Baby Wise" by mm. Gary Ezzo. Really good for helping with the sleep training side of things, which for all new parents uh, have to adjust to. Uh, someone else says, "Don't forget the Haynes Manual for Men on Babies. It has fabulous pictures of different colors of poo." 
Uh, not familiar with that one, but... Uh, Neither am I, but okay. Sounds very familiar. And uh, someone else, of course, inevitably someone says, how did we all make it to adulthood without parenting books? But did you? Did you? You are listening to The Moncrief and Show. Forever. Yes. We are listening to The Moncrief Show on News Talk. We're going to take a break after that. Why does my four-year-old keep wriggling? Moncrief on News Talk. With Avant Money. Money when you need it. With Avant Money credit cards. Avancard DAC trading as Avant Money is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. 53106 is our text number that'll cost you 30 cents. You are listening to the Moncrief Show on News Talk. John of Fortune is still with us. Uh, next question is this. Since my four-year-old daughter was two, she has been wriggling in her chair and bends down sitting on her ankles. It's very bad when she's doing a task such as drawing or colouring. It's like as if she zooms out and is in another world. There's no specific trigger nor any pattern to it occurring. We brought her to a paediatrician who did an EEG on her brain and ruled out abstract seizures. This was back in the summer of 2020. However, the wriggling still continues. We brought her back to the paediatrician this month who said it was a self-soothing, regulating mechanism and it was normal and nothing to worry about. However, we are concerned with our starting school in September September and her overall social development. We also brought her to a kid's OT clinic who also said that it was a sensory stimulation that she was looking for. We did get a trampoline and a ball hopper to give her an outlet, but she will still wriggle after being on them, just at a loss as to what I can do to help her. Otherwise, she's flying. She's meeting all developmental goals. She's very good socially. Yeah, I mean, it's I think it's really interesting because, I, it, you know, I think and there's truth in it, you know, when a, a pediatrician is saying, oh, you know, it's self-soothing, regulating, normal, nothing to worry about. But as parents, of course, we worry, we're primed to worry. And there's this whole thing about they must be ready for school, ready for school. I'm interested because it's not mentioned here if her preschool has passed any comment about her wriggles, her movement or how they are addressing that with her in the context of preschool. So that might be worth linking in with them about because <clears throat> I'm kind of with your OT and I'm actually glad that you did go to an OT clinic and I'm, I'm wondering when that was and might it be worth going back to receive some occupational therapy sessions because it sounds like they gave you some pointers, you know, get a trampoline, a ball hopper, because all of that, because, you know, what I'm hearing is sensory seeking stimulation behavior, but particularly around vestibular system and that vestibular system we have, like we're always taught, you know, you have five senses, but actually there's eight when you add in proprioception, vestibular and interoception, but vestibular is that seeking out movement. You know, it's kids do it quite naturally. And so there is a developmental piece to this, but some of them do it at an over and above level. So that's spinning, wriggling, um, climbing up, you know, climbing frames and hanging by their legs. So they're hanging upside down. That gives them a lot of vestibular input. And basically our vestibular system, Sean, just helps us to coordinate how we move through space. So it's coordinating movement with balance, keeping us upright, in other words. And so kids who are seeking a lot of that they benefit from that kind of jumping moving piece so yes it would certainly be trampolining and ball hopper you might find giving her you know one of those um I'm going to call them wobble boards or the things that used to look like Lolo balls, you know, with the circle and the ball in the middle and that you stand either side of it to get some balance so that no matter what she's doing, she could stand on a balance board and just allow herself to go side to side. Mm. I think riding bikes, things like that, swimming, all of that is really good in this regard. So I think there are plenty of things that you can do around those pieces I've just mentioned. I think I'd also add in, (coughs) excuse me, sorry, 
a little bit of other types of play that you could do with her at home, such as tug of war, because that's going to give her the proprioceptive input of pulling, you know, from your arm. Just get a scarf, hold it between you, pull, pull and look as the parent. Watch your own competitive drive on this. Anyone (laughs) listening? Um, Let's just be honest. And when you're pulling and if you pull your child over to you, pull them into an embrace. So you give them a tight, squeezy hug. And if they're winning, quote unquote, you know, let them pull you into an embrace with them. But what you can do is pull with two hands, then do one hand behind your back, then lift your thumb. So you're increasing the level of challenge, but also the level of sensory input as you do it or covering your hands in lotion and sitting her down. So her back is up against a sofa or a wall or something supported and soft put a cushion behind her and you sit opposite her with your lotiony hands hold her hands and pull away from each other so that you do slip slips it and you fall back dramatically and just call it slippery slip but there's a lot of sensory input in that type of play there's the push the pull the tactile transfer of lotion as well as the skin to skin touch simply dancing and doing stop start dancing can be really helpful for kids who have these kind of vestibular seeking behaviors so play some music, dance, dance, like um, musical statues, you know, just pause it. Everyone freezes. Only leave that for kind of three seconds. Then go again. Pause. Go again. Don't go more than five seconds on your pause. It's too it's too much of an ask when you're four years old. So there are practical things you can do. But I would like you to go back to the OT because as she goes to school, it might be helpful for the school to be aware. Look, she has some sensory seeking behaviors. And what we find helps is and give them a heads up because she may benefit from having you can get these little wobble boards that sit on the chairs in school and kids can so they can stay seated but they can still move if you know what I mean mm. they can wobble around on their seat but they're not causing a disruption by getting up and it's really hard for little kids to stay seated or sit yes. up in your chair right it's such a big ask of them but particularly if your natural inclination is towards the wriggles and the wobbles that's very very difficult so just looking at ways of making that easier for her for her or you could get a little weighted lap blanket so not the big full body blanket because that's a lot for little kids it doesn't suit all people either but you can get one that just lies across your lap so when she is seated say at the dinner table or on the sofa when she's having downtime and she might find it hard to sit still that you could just lay that over her lap and it might give her the sensory input that helps her to feel anchored and grounded so now I'm aware a lot of those props I've mentioned Sean they're they're not cheap um, Mm -hmm. and they are things you have to go out and source and buy so that's why I think going back to the occupational therapist um, or the clinic that you did have a consult with and just discussing with them which would be the most useful and doing it on a kind of priority basis. But there's lots of ways that you can play with it. Make sure she's getting tons of sensory play and tons of outdoor active play, mild, moderate, high levels of activity in her day. That will all help. Yeah. Now, I suppose like anyone listening who has had a child or have children that age would know that four-year-olds tend to be wriggly anyway. Absolutely. Uh, um, though, notwithstanding, this little girl sounds super wriggly. Uh, uh, one question they might want answered is, when will it stop, Joanna? Yeah, I mean, how long is a piece of string? It would be my, <laughs> my counter response. I mean, some kids just grow out of that. And actually, the structure of school in itself can be really helpful and regulating. And some kids just have additional needs in this area. And for a number of years, they're going to need additional input. It's why I do think, and these parents have done a lot, you know, from the age of two, they were on this. Let's get this looked at. I do think, um, you know, especially if you were with an occupational therapist some time ago, or maybe it was recent and they said, look, try these things yourself and see how it goes. 
I would go back to the occupational therapist on it um, and just give it time. But also, you know, when you got the trampoline and the ball hopper and she still wriggles after being on them, make sure she's getting enough time on them, not just, you know, a couple of minutes. Let her go out there a couple of times a day for certainly 20 minute bursts so that she's really getting a chance to get all of that out of her. Yeah. Uh, uh, Somebody says, why is it not okay to wriggle? If I'm perfect in every other way, why can't I not just wriggle uh, when and if it feels good? Maybe the problem is the way you feel about me wriggling. Uh, somebody's texting and that's what that, that's what their daughter said to them. Uh, so, <laughs> and, and you know what? At four years old, it largely should be okay to wriggle. But the challenge is in transitioning to school where the expectation is multiple mini transitions in your day. You know, coming in, sitting down, going outside to play, coming back in, standing in a line. These are all requirements that can be really hard if you're sensory seeking because yeah. it's not in any way your natural inclination to stand still in a line and wait for a grown up to tell you to come in. You're too full of the wriggles and it can get kids into trouble. So I think creating an open narrative about this and making sure everyone's aware that she just needs a little bit more space to get the wriggles out. That's good. She'll benefit from dancing as well, dancing and movement. So thinking of getting her into activities that enable that, that actually celebrate the wriggles. Let's be honest, movement in any kind of a way, sports and dancing, I think would be great for her. My partner and I are separating and need to break it to the kids aged nine, seven and five. I'm very anxious about this conversation, as I know they have picked up on a lot of the tension in the house for some time. My partner will also be moving out. I'm finding it difficult to even process myself. And this is a lot of change very swiftly for the kids. And I want to help them come to terms with this as best I can. My partner and I want to handle this delicately. How can I prepare them for this without leaving them distraught? Oh, and I mean, look, I think we can you can certainly do it without leaving them distraught. But please don't set yourself up to fail by saying we must do this without them getting upset. This is upsetting. This is a difficult experience. And so it is okay for everybody involved to feel upset. And I'm really struck by what this parent is saying about how it's a lot for them to come to terms with themselves, because the end of a relationship is a really difficult choice, regardless of the circumstances that Mm. have led up to that. And it's a really difficult experience for the adults involved, never mind the children. So, you know, there's a whole kind of piece here that I'm going to say, you know, about give yourself adequate time to process the decision that you've come to around separating and then come together. Because I do hear and I'm, I'm inferring, but it does seem like you are in this together. My partner and I want to handle this. So, you yeah. know, there is a collaborative feel, which is great, because if you can come together on a shared narrative and plan for how your children are going to be co-parented by you before you sit down with them. Yeah, that's immensely helpful because then you're coming at them with confidence in, a, you know, as calm as you can be and saying, yes, this is difficult. But look, we have a plan and we're on the same page with it. You know, and I think when you do this with your children and bearing in mind their ages, emphasize that the grown-ups are still working out all of the details. So you mightn't have answers to all of their questions, but you will note their questions and come back as soon as you do have an answer. So really give yourself permission for to not know everything because we can't predict everything they're going, going to ask. But whatever way you do this, you should always be honest but developmentally appropriate, but honest with your children. Because children of this age and a little bit younger as well, they're still quite egocentric in their development. So the main question for them is, you know, how is this going to affect me in my life? And Mm. that's a really healthy, normal, understandable question to ask. And as parents, you have to plan to address that before they have to ask it. So that you want to come in and go tell them, 
you know, that you using very kind of simple words, you know, we've made a difficult choice to end our marriage or relationship or whatever it is, and we won't be living together anymore. You do want to get that in there as well. Um, whoever, I think she says her partner is moving out, but, you know, is going to be moving out of the house and will be living wherever, if you know that. And our relationship changed. And while we're no longer in love with each other, we both really love you and always will. We're still your parents. We're always going to work together as parents for you. We feel we can do the best job we can as friends rather than being in a relationship. So, I mean, don't use that as a script, but just, you know, Mm. get something that says, you know, this was a difficult choice to end our relationship. We won't be living together. Somebody is moving out and here's where they'll be living. Our relationship has changed, but how we feel about you has not. I think children, when you can come at it in that structured way, you're already preempting, how is this going to affect me? And then it's about the practical stuff for kids. Where will I live? Where will I sleep? Will I still go to school? Will I still go to the same football? what's going to change and what's not going to change. So those are the practical things that you have to work out. Okay, where will be the children's primary residence? What is the arrangement around custody access? All of those pieces that maybe you don't have answers about right now. And that's what I mean about saying, we know this much, it's a difficult decision and there's going to be other conversations as we work out more, but that's for us to work out. I think if you can come at it on the same page, though, Sean, I think that always makes a difficult situation easier um, and to do that while things are really positive between you. Yeah, because it's, it's certainly from uh, from the email, it's, that sounds like it's the case. And, mm. and, and if the dad is planning on living nearby, then he can still bring them to school or, or you know, what, you know, to football or whatever things. Uh, that he yeah. used to do that you can kind of do, do, like I mean, obviously you'd have to kind of they, they are going to ask how it's going to affect us and you want as much as possible yeah. to say we're still your parents we still love you uh, and, and very little is going to change you're still going to yeah. live in this house but you might you know see dad at the weekends or whatever do you have to go on that much about the the breakdown of the relationship are they primarily inter- you know interested in that or or can you let them kind of figure that out over time themselves? I mean, you could. It really depends on the children. You know, some children are super sensitive and they do want to know, well, why have you decided this? Why mm. aren't you fine together? Like what's changed? So that in that instance, you want to speak to the relationship has changed between us, but not towards you. So that how we feel about you is unchanged and will not change. It's that we're better as friends than living together. So some kids need that. If you're thinking, no, my kids just really want to know that their life will stay mostly the same, then that's your half of the conversation. And if they come back, because it can be that they go, okay, fair enough. And weeks can go by. It could be days, but it can also be weeks. And then usually when you're driving and they're in the back of the car, they'll ask you a question about, why did you separate? Why did you split up? Mm. So it's no harm to have because that can happen to either of you and no better than a child of this age. I think they're like nine. Are they? Yet? Yeah. Um, you know, so no better that a child that age to then ask the same question to the other parent just to test is the answer the same. So I think it's good to have these conversations at least with each other and say, this is what we're going to say. So the children hear the same thing in the same way whenever they need to see hear it. Yeah. Is the nine year old likely to react any way differently to say the <clears throat> five year old? Absolutely. And I think, you know, it might be a conversation that you're having with some of it with 
all of the children together and then you will actually speak with them individually because your nine-year-old will want or need a level of detail that your five-year-old won't and equally amongst those three ages nine seven and five what you're going to see is different emotional reactions so this isn't a okay we hope oh, we've done the conversation and we've said it exactly like we wanted to it's then about checking in how did it land with each of them and that's a more individual that might be you know you take one of them in the back of the car with you when you go through the car wash that gives you some uninterrupted minutes you might take another one when you're doing the shopping and take the third one out for a little walk or to kick a ball around and have a chat then but you're going to have to address it then individually with each of them how they're coping and it might be no harm if you're comfortable doing it just flagging to their school teachers you know we're having a change at home in our family in our family structure you know Mm. we're having a big change and just you know letting you know that the children in question know but they might just be a little bit emotional or a little distracted or a little elsewhere and there is a reason why I think it's helpful for teachers to know that Joanna thanks a million as ever Joanna Fortune there you are listening to the Moncrief show on News Talk we're going to take a break after that bicycles for people with dwarfism Moncrief on News Talk with Avant Money money when you need it with Avant Money credit cards Avant Card DAC trading as Avant Money is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland.